great to have each of you here this morning. If you are new with us, my name is Kevin. I serve as the lead pastor here at Greenbelt. Um, it, I don't know about you, but it's been fascinating for me to just kind of um, just observe our world over the last three weeks. It, it, it just seems like there are just so many major events happening. Whether what's we just saw this past week, what's happening in Iran, um, what we're seeing happening across the Middle East, friends and colleagues that we have who live in Lebanon have been giving us updates about the, the protests and, and everything that's going on there, what we see in business, what we see in government. There's just so many crazy, large-scale world events seem to be happening right now. And, and in the position that I play as, as a pastor, as a Christian leader in the community, uh, I have a lot of people who come to me and they ask me questions. And they ask me questions about these big, big, giant world events. And over the past three weeks, there has been one question that people have asked me again and again and again that has rised above every other question. And this question has come from people who have been following Jesus for decades. This question has come from people who are new to the Christian faith. This question has come from people who do not believe in God, do not believe in Jesus, peoples of different faiths, atheists, agnostic, Muslim, every faith group that I have contact with have asked me this question. Old people, older people have asked me this, young people have asked me this, and it just seems like everyone is coming to me asking this one question. Pastor Kevin. What did you think of Star Wars? <laughs> really? That's what matters. With the state of the world we're living in, and with my expertise, and my leadership, and my knowledge of things that are going on, my knowledge of the Bible, what everyone seems to want to know from me. What did you think of Star Wars? And why is that? It's because it's what I'm known for. It's what I'm known for. I'm known as the Star Wars guy. Now, I'm not just one of those casual Star Wars people who go to the movies and like the movie. I'm one of those people. I'm one of the ones who obsess, who have read everything. Every book, every comic, every interview, every special feature on the Blu-ray disc, everything. I checked this yesterday while I was cleaning up my room. Every single t-shirt I own has a Star Wars logo on it. All of them but one. That one has a Superman logo on it. I need new clothing. I dress like an 11-year-old. I'm known for this by everybody that I talk to. What's fascinating about this, and I just kind of share this story just to kind of set the tone of what we're going to talk about today, is this is something I am known for. Every single one of us wants to be known for something. I don't care how introverted you are or how extroverted you are. I don't care what personality type you have, where you fall on all of these personality grids and these questionnaires that we do. Deep down, every single one of us wants to be known for something. Maybe for you, you want to be known as a good parent or a good spouse. 
Or maybe you would like to have a reputation in your school of being a good, hard-working student. Or in your job, in your career, you want to be known as someone who is dependable and trustworthy. You want to be known as someone who is fair and is right, righteous, in the good way. Someone who's dependable. If you're here, if you're watching online, you would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. You want to be known as a committed follower of Jesus. Right? All of us want to be known for something as an individual. And the reality is, us collectively as a church family, well, we want to be known for something as well. We want to be known for our mission of leading people in knowing, living, and sharing Jesus. We want to be known for the vision that God has put on our hearts as leaders to be a vibrant, growing Christian community engaged in reaching 10,000 people with the good news of Jesus. We would love to be known for the values that we have as a church family, that we're going to be a church that will always be relevant, that we will teach the timely truth of Jesus in a timely fashion. It's 2020. Run the church like it's 2020, not like it's 1852. <laughs> we want to reach the people of 2020. Right? We want to be relevant. We want to be known as a church that's real. That we can be real before God. God knows your garbage. God knows my garbage. So why do we try to fake it? And be real with one another. We don't have to confess our sins to everybody but at least have a few close people in our lives that we can be transparent and real with as we do this Christian life thing together. We want to know it as being a place that's welcoming. I say this all the time. I believe the church should be the safest place on the planet for anyone to ask anything. I firmly believe that. Jesus was the safest person to go to with anything. We should be the safest place in the world. For anyone to ask anything. And we welcome people and encourage them and let them know that they're loved and they, they belong. We want to be known as a church that's caring. That people feel the love of God. That people know that we love them, even in our differences. And we'd love to be known as a church that kind of keeps things simple. Life is complicated. And we don't want to make church just another burden to people's lives. To add to the complexity of lives. Right. So, you as an individual want to be known for something. We collectively as a church family want to be known for something. Well, the question that I'm going to have us go through today is, and let's see if I can get my English right here, is what you want to be known for actually what you are known for? I did that right. Okay. <laughs> is what you want to be known for actually what you are known for. See, and that's a big old question. Because we can think that we're known for something, but everyone else around us, your family, your friends at school, your colleagues at work, the other people in the Star Wars clubs online, all of these things that we interact with, we can think we're known for something, but the reality is we may be known for something very, very different. And so that's what we're doing in this series for three weeks. We're just kind of looking at the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of the apostles, 
And we're just kind of making sure that we, as a church, have our vision clear. That we, we are doing what we actually say we want to do. Because it's easy to say one thing, but then do something else. So we're, we're just making sure the glasses are on properly and we have a clear vision of what's going on. And we started last week with the conclusion. I did the conclusion first because it's so important to know where we are going. What is the purpose of your life as a follower of Jesus? What is the purpose of the church? Why does the church exist? The church does a lot of stuff. The church does a lot of good stuff. When we go through church history, there are some blips in church history where we may not have done some good stuff. But what is the purpose? And we saw the big idea last week was if you want to hear well done from God, that is directly related to seeking and saving the lost. That's the goal. That's why the church exists, to continue the mission of Jesus of seeking and saving lost people, of people who are radically different than the church people, that look radically different, act radically different, live radically different, behave radically different. That's our mission. And all of us, as followers of Jesus, we are invited to play a part in that mission of seeking and saving the lost. And so what we're going to do next week and what we're going to do today is look at the scriptures and look at the ministry of what we do here as a church family to help you understand why we do what we do. You see, the things we do are directly related to produce results that will help us seek and save the lost. But you have to understand how they're all connected. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to start in a very, very familiar passage of the New Testament. If you have a Bible with you, you can open up to Mark chapter 12. And as I said last week, I would really encourage you to bring a Bible with you. You know, I, 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 I want people to see this in the text. I mean, it's cool that it's on the screen and all, but I'm, I'm a big believer. I, I, I guess I am getting a little older. I've actually gone back to my paper Bible Instead, I've been a digital Bible for the last 15 years, um, and now for some reason I just have gone back to paper because I like to scribble in it, underline it, and mark it up because when you see it, when you, I want you to see it. I want you to see it. This isn't my opinion. These aren't Kevin's words. These are the words that we read in the Bible, and we take our authority not from Kevin. We take our authority from the Word of God as a church. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 12. Very, very, very familiar text. If you have those big, bold headings to help you divide up your Bible, the heading on this one says the greatest commandment. I'm going to start reading in Mark 12, starting in verse 28. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him of all of the commandments which is the most important? That's a pretty big question. I mean, because the commandments of God, the laws of God, the traditions of the people of Israel, there's a lot of them. And the religious people spent their entire religious career debating and arguing and putting in order which 
commands are the most important. You see, and the reason that religious people do that is because religious people want to know how well I'm doing. And I want to be able to tell how bad you're doing. You see, because if I put these laws and these commandments in order, I can make myself feel pretty good. Okay, I may not keep these three, but those three are in the bottom 613. I'm at least keeping the top two. So I'm pretty holy. I'm pretty special. I'm pretty amazing. God is very lucky to have someone like me on his team. And man, boy, I feel bad for God that they also have that person on their team. This is what we do in religion. And this is what these religious leaders are doing to Jesus. They're saying, we have spent hundreds and hundreds of years as the Jewish people arguing over these laws and these commandments. And you say you're the king? You say you are the great I am? You say you are the way, the truth, and the life? You say that you are the gate and no one comes to God except through your gate? You say that you're the bread of life? You say that you're the lamb of God? Really? Then which one's the most important? Loaded question. Could spark a whole lot of debate and a whole lot of argument. And Jesus replies, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all of your heart, with all of your understanding, with all of your strength, to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to them, said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Now, I don't have any data to back this up. But I am pretty confident in saying there are more sermons written and recorded and preached on this text than any other text of the Bible. Just do a simple Google search and say, Sermon, Greatest Commandment, and you will get millions and millions of hits in Google. Now, why am I with confidence able to say this is probably the most preached text? Well, just because it's the greatest commandment. If it's the greatest commandment for the church, if it is the greatest commandment for our lives, shouldn't it be the one that drives everything we do? Think about that for a moment. If nothing is more important than this, not the way we do church, and he addresses that. It's not the burnt offerings. It's not how you do communion, the frequency of communion. Oh, you, you know, it should be quiet when we do communion. Oh, it should have music when we should do communion. All oh, the kids should be in. Oh, no, the kids shouldn't be in. All these things. It's not the burnt offerings. It's not the sacrifices. 
Oh, man, i got to come to church in a snowstorm. That's a sacrifice. We didn't have to avoid snipers on the way, like some of our brothers and sisters did in other parts of the world. Right? If this is truly the greatest commandment, it should have the greatest attention in our lives if we are a follower of Jesus. It should. It should be what we are known for. But is it? It's what we want to be known for. But is it what we are actually known for? If you're new to the Bible, I just want to kind of give you a little bit of the context and um, just so we can understand the real purpose of the author of this text. And if you've been reading the Bible, studying the Bible for a long time, this could just be a good reminder for all of us today. This part of the Bible is written by a man named Mark. In some parts of the Bible, he's known as John Mark. And then people get all confused. Why is it John in some places? Why is it Mark? Because in that day and age, it was common for the Hebrew people to have a Greek name and a Hebrew name. Right? They were under Roman occupation, so a lot of people had two names, a Greek name and a Hebrew name. Same as the Apostle Paul. There was Saul and Paul. That wasn't a case of God changing his name like we see in the Old Testament. It was just culturally you had two names to navigate two different worlds, the Roman world and the Hebrew world. What we know about John Mark is that his mother, Mary, was a prominent leader in the early church of Jerusalem. Okay? And we also learned that John Mark was a cousin of Barnabas, and he accompanied the Apostle Paul on their missionary journeys. <laughs> One of the things that we learn about John Mark is that Mark and the Apostle Paul had a bit of a falling out. So Christian splits and church splits and arguments among church leaders isn't new to today. It's been happening for 2,000 years. But we do see, as we study the text, that Paul and Mark reconciled. Side sermon for another time. If you have not reconciled with someone, get on it. Just saying. You have no right, no privilege to not be reconciled with another brother and sister in Christ. You don't have to love them like a best friend, but you need to reconcile that relationship. It's important. Okay? That's a sermon for another time. Okay? But we see this happening in the text. We see that Mark was also very close to the Apostle Peter. And... Uh, Early church tradition, the text doesn't teach us this, but church history teaches that Mark most likely wrote this text because of the testimony of Peter. You see, Peter was in ministry in Rome, and Peter was talking to Mark, recording the ministry of Jesus. Mark recorded it for him to be read to the church in the city of Rome. And Mark's purpose in this gospel is to share that the good news has come in the person of Jesus. See, Mark's gospel is the shortest of the gospel, and there's an urgency to his gospel compared to the other. It's suddenly, immediately, and then. He uses language like that, like this is important. you got to get this. Don't forget. Like he kind of trims some of the fat. Not that parts of your Bible are fat, but you know what I mean. He's just trying to get to the point quicker. <laughs> that the kingdom of God has come. Not in the way you thought it was going to come. 
wasn't in this military mighty hero, wasn't in these angels that came and swiped with swords and destroyed the Romans, is that the kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus. This good news, this kingdom of God looks very, very different than what the Jewish people were looking for. You see, the Jewish people were looking for a Messiah to come with might and with power and destruction, destroy our enemies, get rid of the people we hate, get rid of the people who are oppressing us. And yet the kingdom of God came with a very different message. It came with a message of submission to people, to love my enemy, to pray for those who persecute you. If someone wants your coat, you give wants your tunic, you give them your coat. If a Roman soldier wants you to carry their gear for a mile, you carry it for two miles. <laughs> See, the, the kingdom of God came not in might and power, but in humility, in sacrifice, and even death. <laughs> that God would die for sinful humans. That he would die for me in my sin, in my imperfections, in the thoughts that I have, in the actions that I have, the things that are far from the way God would have me live, that Jesus would die for that. So Mark, he sets up chapter 12. Sorry, a few of the chapters before chapter 12, he sets up to give a picture of the conflict that is going on in his day. You see, because the followers of God, back in Jesus' day, under Roman occupation, were wrestling with the exact same question I believe the church is still wrestling with today. They're wrestling with the question, what should we be known for? Here we are, these Jewish people, they were expecting the kingdom of God to come in their midst, to restore order in the temple, to bring the glory back to the nation of Israel. And yet they've been under occupation, under occupation, and under war, and under slavery. And that hasn't changed in 2,000 years. The mess back then is still the mess we see playing out in the news today. They're asking themselves, as the people of God, what should they be known for? What should religious people who love God be known for? Same question we ask today with all the questions that we deal with in the world. Politics business, sexual ethics, all of these things that are kind of hitting the church right now. What should we be known for? And so I was reflecting on that question a lot this week as I prepared for this. What kind of man do I want to be known for? What kind of husband do I want to be known for? What kind of father? What kind of pastor, what kind of nerd do I want to be known for, right? And we all have to wrestle with that. And as we ponder that question, as I have pondered that question, if there's areas that I find I'm falling short, the next question is, well, what do I do with that? Who do I want to be? What do I want to be known for? And where am I not following, where am I not measuring up to that? Right? So the big idea that I want us to unpack for the rest of our time together today is this. Right? Being on mission 
So the mission of being a part of Jesus' work of seeking and saving the lost, it must come from connecting with God and others in a meaningful way. Being on mission comes from connecting with God and others in a meaningful way. You cannot be a part of the mission of seeking and saving the lost if you are not connected with God in a meaningful way. You can't. You just can't. Because you'll be doing everything in your own strength, everything in your own power, everything in your own understanding, and the Bible teaches that all of that stuff that we do in our own strength, in our own power, in our own understanding, won't last. And it won't bear any fruit. So we cannot be a part of the mission of seeking and saving the lost if we are not connected to God in a meaningful way. That's what Jesus said. This is why this is the greatest of commandments. He also adds, you cannot be a part of the mission of God of seeking and saving the lost if you are not connected with other people in a meaningful way. That we weren't meant to do this Christian thing by ourselves. Right? Living out the greatest commandment means we connect with God. With our entire being. Loving God that way. Living out the greatest commandment means that we connect with other Christians in a meaningful way. There's also a third part to this commandment that we ignore a lot. It's love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And sometimes we're not very great at the as yourself part. <laughs> you know, because we're Christians and we're humble and we don't want to think too highly of ourselves. That's not what the point is. Not about like, no, I'm awesome, I love me, I'm the best. It's not that. <laughs> but it's evaluating are there parts of my life that I don't love? Are there parts of my life that I'm kind of disappointed with? And what am I going to do about those things? That's sin in my life. Maybe I should do something about that to help me feel better. So the sin in my life, I know I've got it. And so the sin in your life, I know you've got it. So I'm going to love you the same way I love me as we deal with our sin together. So let's kind of unpack this a little bit. We want to look at kind of the ministry of what we do here as a church and how it is specifically designed to help you connect. How it is specifically designed to help you connect with God. How do we connect with God? Right, This commandment here that Jesus quotes in Mark chapter 12, the, the first time we read about it, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's a part of the Old Testament. It's a part of the law of Moses, which is known as the Shema. And the Shema was the central creed for Judaism. Right? All the laws, all the traditions, and everything else that the Jewish people built all hinges on the Shema, the central creed of the Jewish faith. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, this is where we read it. And in the original, there's only, it only includes three aspects of loving God. Moses records to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And then what Jesus does is he takes the might part and explains it better. When people say, oh, see, the Bible has got all these contradictions. It's not a contradiction. <laughs> it's an explanation. <laughs> it's what does might mean? Well, Jesus says heart, soul, mind, strength. Separates our might into the mind and strength. 
And it's so important for us to understand what these words meant, not just for us today, but what did these words mean 2,000 years ago in a, in a Greek-Hebrew culture? You see, when Jesus, when Moses says to love God with all of your heart, you see, for the Jewish person, the heart is the centrality of who you are. Your entire being comes from your heart. You see, when Jesus would teach the crowds, people were concerned about this tradition of being unclean, that the Jewish religious leaders would wash their hands and wash their dishes a certain way so that they wouldn't have dirt on the dishes and then take it and consume it, and then what's unclean on the outside would come into them and make them unclean on the inside. And Jesus says, you're all crazy. <laughs> That's the Kevin paraphrase. Just in case he broke that down. Okay? But he did. He said, you're nuts. It doesn't work like that. A dirty cup might give you indigestion. Okay? In some parts of the world, you might get worms. You might have to go for a booster shot. Okay? But it's not what's going to make you unclean before God. What makes you unclean before God is already in you. It's your heart. Out of the heart, every bad thought comes. Out of our heart, every bad word comes. Out of our heart, every bad action comes. So Jesus is saying, when he says you have to love God with your whole heart, he's talking about the whole centrality of who we are. Our whole heart. Our soul is the eternal spiritual part of us. The part that will last for all eternity. This body, this flesh will not last for eternity. The Bible teaches us that at the resurrection, we will be given new resurrection bodies, and we will be in a new heaven, a new earth, a physical realm, not a spiritual realm with diapers and hearts and wings, <laughs> but a resurrected body. But these bodies are temporary, but it's the soul that is eternal. We love God with what is eternal. We love God with our minds. I was actually just talking to someone just recently, within the last few days, online, was saying, well, I just believe the Christian faith is for dumb people. And this was a quote. This was a quote. Um, I just believe the Christian faith is for dumb people. It's for people that are uneducated and for people who don't use their brains. And then a part of me just wanted to start typing. <laughs> and then I hit backspace, backspace, backspace. Go down a little bit. Never hit post when you're angry. Never hit send when you're angry. That's some free advice for you this morning. Okay? Hit the backspace a little bit first. But it's like, okay, well, why do you believe the Christian faith is for dumb people? It's like, well, you don't use your head. The evidence points to something different. And then we started talking about the Big Bang. I'm talking about how everything came from nothing and that everything that we have came totally from nothing. And I was like, wow, you're an incredible person of faith. Because I can't go there. That's dumb. <laughs> you're dumb. <laughs> I should backspace on that one too. <laughs> right? God is not afraid with us using our brain. Jesus is not afraid with, of people using their brain at all. The Christian faith is a, is a thinking faith. You can use your brain. The evidence goes where the evidence goes. Don't be afraid of the evidence. 
think sometimes we're so worried about kind of where the evidence might lead, and what if I start studying this stuff, it's going to take me away from God. The evidence goes actually the other way. You need great faith to ignore the evidence. God is okay with you using your brain, right? And then he talks about using our strength, loving God with our strength. He's talking about your physical strength. There are days getting out of that warm, comfy bed on a nice storm morning is hard, Took some strength to get out of bed this morning. Took some strength. How was your heart when you were scraping off the car? That was the, my heart when I got out of the car and I reached in the back and I grabbed the scraper and I got out of the car and I actually hit myself in the face with it. <laughs> I didn't tell you guys that because I was trying to calm down. <laughs> Took some strength. Okay? There's this physical strength, but there's also this strength of will. And, you, and anyone who's married knows what that means. You know, when we say that love is this feeling, and love is romantic, and my husband doesn't romance me anymore, he doesn't buy me flowers anymore, it's like all this romance stuff, right? Now, bu- husbands, buy your wife flowers. I know I haven't done it in a long time. I'm going to get around it eventually. My New Year's resolution in 2021. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Love is like this big emotional thing and you know when you're married some days you wake up or some days you're in a fight and there's some tension and you know what I'm choosing to love today because I don't feel like loving I just don't the way it works that's when your will has got to kick in God I don't like what I'm reading in the papers God I don't like what I'm seeing in the world I don't like seeing people suffering and the pain and the hardship that some families have, I don't like that, God. But I'm going to choose to love you. This is what Jesus is explaining about. So how do we create environments of a church, as a family of God, to help us grow in that kind of love? Well, you may not realize this, but Sunday morning is an environment to help foster that type of love. You see, one of the, I'm going to throw out to the couple two really big theological words. If you don't study theology, here's a lesson in theology for you. I encourage you to write these things down. See, one of the things that's so important for us to remember is that God is transcendent and imminent. God is both transcendent and he is imminent. What do those big fancy theological words mean? The first transcendent is that God is independent of the material world. That God transcends our understanding of the physical. He is outside of time. He is outside of space. He is greater than anything that we can kind of touch or feel. You see, and when you and I gather in an environment like this, at this church or any other church, and we grab a guitar, we grab a keyboard, we use PowerPoint, we use a hymnal, regardless of what that is, do you know what we are actually doing? We are partnering with the transcendence. That we are partaking in the worship of a transcendent God where the angels are in the presence of the throne room of God declaring holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we have the privilege of partaking in the transcendence of God. 
Oh, but I didn't like the music today. Music was fine today, Paul. Just it was fine. <laughs> you picked on me. I picked on you. <laughs> I love you, man. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't like it. It was this. It was that. We get so obsessed on it. But we forget why we do it. Why do we worship? We worship because we are meeting and coming aligned with this transcendent God. That we are participating in something supernatural. See, when the Apostle Paul was teaching about worship to the church in Corinth, he would say the Christians would gather, they would worship, and something supernatural is happening in that moment that non-Christians notice. They go, God is truly among these people. Because it's a supernatural thing. So God is transcendent. And so we connect with God in the transcendent. And that's a meaningful way that we connect with God. The other part of God's nature, that God is imminent. That means that God is here. You see, God showed his imminence when he was born of the Virgin Mary. And he came and lived a life as one of us. That God is not just transcendent outside of time, outside of space, that God is imminent. He is here. You see, and if you have put your faith in Jesus to save you from your sin, not only is he here, he's right here. You are his temple. And when we gather in this way, where two or more are gathered, whether it's in a church building, whether it's in your home basement, whether it's online, where two or more are gathered, God's presence is imminently there. And we connect with God that way. And that's just the worship part of what we do. That doesn't even explain the preaching part and how that plays out, the prayer time, the connecting time with God that we do, so we're very intentional. It's not, when I say make Sunday an important part of your life, it's not because I'm trying to make you feel guilty. It's because I believe it's important. You see, I, I can do guilt. I, I can't, trust me. But I don't want to. you got to see it for yourself. Is this important for me? Do I want to connect with God in a meaningful way? If you say yes, then how are you going to connect with God in a meaningful way this year? We believe one of the ways that we connect with God, that we show our love for God, is through how we worship God in the transcendence and in the imminent. Okay? Well, that's just one of the ways we gear our ministry. So Sunday morning, we gear around meeting with God, connecting with God in a meaningful way. To show our love with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. The second part of being on mission, if we want to be on mission, it comes from connecting with God and with other people in a meaningful way, is how do we connect with others? When Jesus says that this is just as important as loving God, love your neighbor as yourself. Now we all understand there are some people who are easier to love than others. That's okay. I never once said, as a Christian leader, as a pastor, that every single Christian has to be best friends and intimate with everybody in their church. I've never said that. You know why? Because it's not in the Bible. We all have to love one another and honor one another and respect one another. 
but we don't all have to know each other intimately. Because if that was the case, every single local church would be about 15 people. Because you cannot know more than 15 people intimately. It's not possible. It's not. So let's stop beating ourselves up. It's like, oh, see that person over there? I don't know who they are. Go say hi. Introduce yourself. Make them feel welcomed and cared for. But then get them into a life group. You see, right now we have three services. We have two in English. We have one in Arabic. We're seeing dozens and dozens of people joining us through our online ministry as well. It's really exciting to see what's going on. But we want people to connect with each other in a meaningful way. And Sunday's fine. It's great to have a coffee together, have some cookies together, you know, pray together in the prayer room, things like that. Sunday's great. But Sunday's not the environment where we foster these deeper connections. It's through the groups, through our life group ministry. I adamantly, adamantly believe in the importance of groups. Ever since I was a brand new Christian, I have been a part of a life group. And pretty much every single spiritual, I don't want to say spiritual benchmark, but you know what I mean? Like every time you just felt that you've really grown spiritually, you know those moments in your life where you just were dealing with something, you had some victory in it, and you just, you could just see the growth in your own life? In my life, every single time, it's because I had a few people walking with me. Every time. Every time. I have never had a major victory in my spiritual life by myself. Not once. Now maybe some of you can sit there and give me some examples of where you have. But the scriptures point to the importance of each other. So we want everybody to be in a group. That's why after the service today, if you're not in a group, man, try one out five weeks. It's going to take some will. It might take a bit of strength. But give it a shot for five weeks. And then if you kind of, after the five weeks, go, yeah, I didn't like any of those people. Okay, that's cool. We have other groups. We can, I know, if you came to my group, I, we're weird. I get it, okay? But that's fine. Um, but then it just could be, don't give up on life groups. It may just have been the, not the people God wanted you to connect with. So in the cafe afterwards, you know, it's going to be a volunteer there. Just go and see the groups that are available. Sign up. Give it a shot because we believe this is so important. You cannot be on mission of seeking and saving the lost if you are not connecting with God in a meaningful way and if you're not connecting with other people in a meaningful way. And then the final part where I really believe I want to see our ministry get even, even better at is that I want you to love yourself. I want to, because of what we are doing when we gather as a church family on Sunday, as we meet each other in our groups, as we study the Word of God together, as we serve and bless our community together, as we do this mission thing that God has called us to, what's in your life? You go, I'd really like God to work on this. <clears throat> you know, maybe there's some stuff in your thought life that you would just like God to work on. Maybe there's some stuff in your marriage that you'd like God to work on. Maybe there's stuff in your finances you'd like God to work on. Maybe you're struggling with the internet and you know, pornography, maybe like what, whatever it is. It's like, there's something that I just don't like. And I'm going to believe that the word of God says that there's power and victory over those things. 
There's nothing breaks my heart more when a Christian tells me I will always have this sin. Jesus didn't die for you to always have this sin. It might take 50 years for Jesus to work on it. I just discouraged everybody. (laughs) But 50 years of walking with God and pursuing God is 50 years well spent. 50 years of prayer is 50 years well spent. Spending that time intimately with a God who loves you. To see God do something in your life. So connect with God Connect with other people so that you can love the neighbor as ourselves. It seems like our culture, we're becoming more and more and more um, not that great with this. You know, we, we, we put ourselves down. We, we, we think very lowly of ourselves. It's not that we don't think of ourselves. as We think very negatively of ourselves to the point where it's making us sick. We've got to turn that, that ship around, especially as the church. What do we want to be known for? <laughs> we want to be known as men and women, boys and girls who love, love God with our entire being. And we're not perfect. <laughs> and we never claim to be. <laughs> but we just love God. Because God is perfect. And God is holy. And God is just. And God is doing more than we can ever ask or imagine through his power at work in this place. <laughs> it's amazing. When you hear the stories, it's amazing when we look at the data. It's amazing and all that God wants to do in us and through us. We love God that way. And as we let God work in our own lives, we realize God's going to bring people into our lives. That in my flesh, I would not want to spend five minutes with. (laughs) But because God loves them and God is working in them, I love them. And I'm going to let God use me to work on them. You see, what should the church be known for? This. It's more important than anything. See, it's more important than anything that the church of Jesus Christ, I believe in today's day and age, in the culture that we find ourselves in today, more than ever, they need to see the church living this. Loving God, with our entire being, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, of loving our neighbor like we love ourselves. We're not known for our belief on certain difficult topics. We're not known for our protest. We're not known for supporting one party over another. We're not known for blasting one group of people online over another. We're kind of known for a lot of things that I wish I could just have this big magic delete button on the internet. So if one of you kids could invent some button that would just hack every website so I could just hit delete, I would love to scrub the internet clean of a lot of stuff that we are known for and start again. And I think as we step into a new decade, the church is going to be known for something very different. That we are not going to be known what we are like, not going to be known for what we are against. We are going to be known for what Jesus wants us to be known for. Men and women, boys and girls who love the Lord, who love the lost, who love each other, because this world needs to see that kind of love. See, and the love that we're displaying to them is the love that you and I received. It should be easy to display what we've received. 
That's why we preach the gospel to ourselves as Christians every week. You, Christian, need to be reminded of the amazing love you have received. That a holy, right, perfect, just God who must deal with rebellion, pride, arrogance, lust, greed, all of these things that can grip our hearts, he must deal with those things. And the only thing, the only punishment that can justify this before this holy God is death. But thanks be to God that the death we deserved is not the death we receive. That in our place, God sent Jesus, the perfect Holy One, to be the ultimate sacrifice, to pay a price we couldn't pay. There's nothing we did to earn it. Nothing. That's still... I've been a follower of Jesus for 20 years, and I've been a pastor for almost 15. And there are days I will sit in my office and still weep over that. Because a part of me feels like I should do something to earn this. If I just worked harder, then the death of Jesus would be worth it. If I was just a better pastor, then the death of Jesus would be worth it. If I was a better husband, then the death of Jesus would be worth it. I've got to stop being so religious to compare myself to others. I didn't do anything, nothing to earn this, except turn from my sin and turn back to God. And that is love that this world needs. It's because it's the love that you and I have received. So as you and I embark on the mission of Jesus so that we could hear, well done, because we were a part of seeking and saving the lost, it starts with you and I being, for us to be on that mission, we have got to connect with God in a meaningful way. We've got to connect with each other in a meaningful way. We've got to deal with the stuff that's in our lives. You know, normally at this point in the sermon, I'd go, okay, well, here's three things you can do. But in a room of this size, I can't tell you what to do. All I can do is create a moment for you to spend some time with God. Our worship team is going to come up now, and they're going to lead us in one last song. And and I would just encourage you to, in this moment, remember that God is here. God is here, and we are meeting with God in this place. (laughs) That the Spirit of God is in you, the Spirit of God is in the person singing beside you, that God is here in this place, and he wants to meet with you. And also in this holy moment, we are partnering with the angels. We are partnering with eternity. Declaring the greatness of God. So we're going to use this moment to love God. To love the people around us. And my hope and my prayer is that God might speak to you in this moment. What does God want you to do this year? To connect more with him in a meaningful way. What does God want you to do this year? To connect with someone else in the church in a meaningful way. And what does God want to do in your life? Maybe a little thing, maybe a big thing to clean up in your life to help you love yourself more. And if you're here today and you would say, man, I'm not a follower of Jesus. If you're watching this online and you say, I'm not a follower of Jesus, man, I, I'm so glad that you're here. 
And I actually pray that this moment would speak to you too. Exactly like the Apostle Paul teaches, that when the church worships in this way, that you would just go, wow, these people really do love God. And God really is real. And you can then just join in with the singing and just by praying very simply, just saying, God, forgive me. Forgive me for my sin. God, this heart that Jesus talks about, that's the kind of heart I want. So give me that heart. Today I turn to you. It's that simple. You don't need a class. You don't need to go to seminary. You don't need to meet with me and I rubber stamp you to make sure you're good with God. God rubber stamps. You can do that right now in this moment. Let me just pray. Father God, we praise you. We praise you because you are here with us. We praise you because you are good. And we praise you, God, because you are worthy of our praise, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as we meet with you in this moment today, on this kind of cold, snowy, icy day, God, we pray that you would just fill this place with your warmth, with your peace, with your joy, as we join with the angels, as we join with the heavens, declaring the goodness of God together. Speak to all of our hearts today, God, on how we could love you more this year. Speak into our hearts, God, how we could do a better job of loving other people in our church or other Christians from other churches. And help me, God, this year to just deal with some stuff in my life to help me grow more in my love of myself. So, Father, we worship you now. In Jesus' name. The words of Jesus remind us of what we should be known for. What do you want to be known for this year? And is what you want to be known for actually what you're known for? My hope is that all of us, individually and as a church family, we would be known for this. That we love the Lord our God with all of our hearts and with all of our soul and with all of our mind and with all of our strength. And that we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. I pray that you would go in the peace and love of God this week. Again, if you'd like someone to pray for you, prayer room over there. If you're online, send us a DM and we'll pray for you. If you're new with us, come and say hi in the cafe. I would love to meet you. But have an amazing week. Just trusting in the love of God in the mission that he has called you to. Have a great week. God bless.